ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you're a fan of detective novels, you'll know this name almost as well as you know your own. Agatha Christie. She's the mind that created Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple and she put the Orient Express on the map. But there is one Agatha Christie mystery that has never been solved and you've probably never heard of it. It's the story of her own disappearance on one December evening in 1926. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So how can one of the most famous crime writers of all time just disappear into thin air? And who are the people who tried to keep it a secret? One person who has been finding her share of red herrings is Beck Armitage. Hey, Beck. Hello. So remind us, if no one's heard the name Agatha Christie before, a refresher, please. So Agatha Christie is called the queen of crime. She is essentially the best-selling author of all time. She's only outsold by Shakespeare and the Bible. And she writes incredibly tight, bamboozling crime novels. She's considered very good at plotting. Her characters are very complex. You can never pick what's going to happen. But it's often, you know, a whole bunch of rich people go for a shooting weekend at a lovely manor in countryside England and someone is found dead and everyone has a reason to want this person dead and you can never pick it because she's that good at plotting. So she was obviously a fiction writer, but this story is not fictional. This is a true crime story. It is. And, you know, it is the one mystery of hers that can't really be solved. She kind of refused to... Well, she she offered a solution. She offered the outcome of this mystery, but no one ever believed her. And to this day, people don't believe her version of events. So to explain what happened, on the evening of December 3, 1926, she was in her beautiful English mansion with her child. She kissed her child goodnight. She packed an attaché case, put it in her car and drove away, and no one saw her for 11 days. Oh, my gosh. Why was it like a mystery? Did she just drive away and they just couldn't find her? So the next day they found her car and she had crashed into a hedge and the front wheels were dangling into this quarry, but she wasn't there. So they assumed that she had had some sort of accident or perhaps she was in a mental health crisis and uh, made an attempt on her life, but they couldn't find her. Like, she wasn't around. And because of her fame, like, at this point she's 36 years old, she's just written one of her bestsellers, so she's gone from, you know, a pretty well-known person to a global celebrity at this point, and so it goes straight into the papers. Like, the tabloids, what could be better than this mystery writer, this woman who makes her own money? She's suddenly (laughs) gone. No one knows where she is. So one tabloid offers a reward of nearly $10,000 in today's money. They have dogs. They are dragging rivers. They are trying to find this woman. They think they're going to find a body, but they can't find her anywhere. Her husband doesn't know where she is and everyone is incredibly distressed and they're not sure what's happened. And then he says something kind of weird a few days after she goes missing, which is, oh, maybe she's done this to herself. And that turns this into the biggest story of 1926. Right. Like she's playing games with people. 
he basically implies that she's done this because she's writing a new mystery novel and she's trying to work something out in her head. And the best way to do that is to go full gonzo journalism and actually do it. So he suggested that she's uh, said to him that she could disappear at will. As famous as she is, she's quite a private woman. She doesn't really, you know, go out and seek fame. So no one really knows what she looks like. And in this moment, he makes this random accusation and it kind of backfires because then everyone's like, why would you say that? And then everyone starts to think he might be involved. Oh, right. So he accidentally kind of implicates himself. He does. And I think the reason he does this is no one knows that their marriage is falling apart. 1926 is a terrible year for Agatha. Her mother dies. They were very close. Agatha goes to her childhood home to pack it up. And while she's gone, Archibald Christie, her husband, meets a woman who's 10 years younger than them and he falls in love with her. And when Agatha comes home, she's told that he wants a divorce. And this is what's happening in the backdrop of her disappearance. So it seems like maybe he puts this out there because he's concerned the press is going to find Nancy, his girlfriend, and he's embarrassed. Can we learn a bit more about Archibald Christie? Because it's an incredibly aristocratic name. It honestly sounds like a character from a crime novel. So I've written this story for the ABC website and I spent a lot of time in the British Library's newspaper archives and everyone gives the most British quotes I've ever heard. But Archibald himself is the most British man who has ever British, I have to say. (laughs) So he was an army officer when they met. He's incredibly handsome. He's Colonel Archibald Christie. He plays golf. Golf is where he's met Nancy on the golf course. And so once everyone starts turning on him and he's like, are you involved in her death? Death, he says to the papers in the most British quote I've ever read, it is absolutely untrue to suggest that there was anything in the nature of a row or a tiff. I strongly deprecate introducing any tittle-tattle into this matter. <laughs> row or tiff. I love it. So she has disappeared. Like, it's not like everyone thought she was missing. Like, her car's been crashed. It's dangling over a cliff. She's gone. It does seem... I don't know, like, it's definitely mysterious. I imagine at the time everyone would have assumed that she had died because that just, if someone just vanishes off the face of the earth, that is what you would assume. Like, her car's there, her body is not, she's not coming forward, where is she? But the thing is, she actually left clues. She sent three letters before she left. One was to her secretary and that letter was just like, you know, these are the things coming up, can you just do this stuff for me? One was to Archibald. He burnt it and refused to say what was in it, but we can only imagine. But she also sent one to her brother-in-law saying, look, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to go up to Yorkshire and stay at a spa and try and pull myself together. Oh, so she literally told him where she was going. Like the clue is right there (laughs) at the beginning of the story. But it seems like police didn't really take it seriously. They said, you know, if her car's here, it doesn't seem like she's made it to the spa. And they also said if she was at a spa, surely she would just call us up. Her face is on every newspaper in the country. Like, if she was up there, wouldn't she just call us? I think they probably could have done their due diligence and called a couple of spas up there, but they didn't do that. Tell me about what they did do in the search for her then. So there are aeroplanes, there are volunteers, there are dogs. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, he's into fairies, Uh, ghosts. He's kind of a mystic. That's his thing. So he asks Archibald, can he have one of Agatha's gloves? And he gives the glove to this mystic. And the mystic, she communes with it. She says that she can pick up spiritual matter from it. And the mystic says she's at the bottom of this lake. She's met with foul play. She's dead. If you drag the lake, you'll find her. They drag the lake. She's not there. Oh, they act on the mystic's advice. 
the lake was nearby the car, so they probably thought, well, you know, it kind of makes sense. It seems like the kind of thing that you would do, but she was just gone. She was kind of the original gone girl. Yeah, so 11 days probably felt like a really long time at the time. In retrospect, it's not very long. How did they actually track her down in the end? Obviously, the mystic wasn't any use. No. So what happens is there's this spa up in Yorkshire, as she had suggested from the very beginning, and all the guests who are staying there, they're having these lovely treatments, they're doing the Charleston with each other, it's the 20s, they're drinking gin cocktails. There's this mysterious woman who's staying there with them and everyone starts to say, God, she looks like Agatha Christie, but she's telling them that her name is Teresa Neal. And eventually someone who works at the hotel goes to the police and is like, look, I swear she's there. So the band goes to the police. They tell the police, look, I'm pretty sure she's there under a false name. The police get Archibald. They go to the spa. And it's Agatha Christie. She's been at a spa this entire time. And what's it like when she gets caught? She's incredibly confused. When she sees Archibald, she doesn't quite recognise him at the beginning. She believes herself to be this Teresa Neal person. But slowly over time, uh, you know, Archibald says to the press, she's suffered memory loss. She doesn't remember her child. It's like she's just a different person. So he takes her to her sister's house where she recovers and she slowly, with the help of psychotherapists, rebuilds memories of that time. I think I really kind of wanted to believe that she did this on purpose and pulled the wool over everyone's eyes, but it really sounds more like she was genuinely not okay. Yeah, look, I think there are two trains of thought. One is that she is literally the original Gone Girl and she staged this disappearance to humiliate Archibald. You know, he's a very fancy aristocratic man. Being in the press like this would have been humiliating for him. Being, you know, cast under suspicion, that's his worst nightmare. And I think that kind of probably reflects on the way we see women as manipulative, particularly a woman who does these incredibly elaborate crime novels. She lived with that suspicion for the rest of her life that she had done that. She gave one interview. She really hated talking about this. I think she found it quite embarrassing herself, but she gave one interview two years after it happened in which she explained she crashed her car, she hit her head, and suddenly Agatha Christie no longer existed. She doesn't actually remember how she got to the spa. She just was there and she truly believed that she was Theresa Neal. Right. So this is the 20s, 1920s. Now that we have sort of better understanding of psychology and that sort of thing, are there any theories as to what she might have been going through? Yeah, so it's called a fugue state. That's kind of like a dissociative amnesia episode. And this does happen if you're in the middle of an incredibly trying time, if you're having a mental health crisis. You've got to remember she... Her mother has just died. She loved her mother so much. Her marriage is falling apart. And she's also at the peak of her fame. And I think that can be kind of intense as well. Like she's she's an incredibly private person, but suddenly everyone knows who she is. And all these things happen. And it's sort of like the people who've experienced this state say it's like you just lose time. Like you're somewhere and then you wake up and you're somewhere completely different and you have no idea how you got there. And it seems like she just slipped into this state for 11 days. She saw her face on the newspaper and she thought that was someone else. So she's gone back to her sister's place. She does recover. Is it a happy ending for Agatha? It is an extremely happy ending, I'm happy to report. (laughs) So, you know, she has some trying times. Two years after this happens, she and Archibald do divorce. And she's so upset, like she's devastated. He, She thought he was the love of her life 
And she's a really cool woman. So she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on an adventure. She loved traveling. So she's like, I'm going to go to the Middle East. So she books a ticket on the Orient Express. Oh, I know about that because of a book. (laughs) Yes. So she gets on this train and while she's sitting there, she's like, you know, this would be a really cool setting for like a murder mystery. So she writes the book. It's one of the biggest books of her career. And while she's away, she goes to Iraq and she goes on this archaeological dig and she meets this man called Max and he immediately falls in love with her and they get married six months later and they stay together for the rest of her life. I love this for Agatha. I think the message is like, dump him, you know? (laughs) Don't hold on to bad relationships. It's an incredibly hopeful story. Like, there is actually more out there for you if you're willing to ask for it. I love this so much. So what do we learn from the story of Agatha Christie apart from dump him, which I really couldn't have said it better myself? Well, I think what we've learned is that uh, people often don't believe women, which continues to be true. She, you know, she explained what she said happened and no one believed her. And so this continues almost 100 years later to be this sort of like dark call over her life. And I think the other thing is just, you know, one of the most famous quotes from her memoir is that, you know, life is wonderful. I do think she was in just the depth of like an incredibly hard time, but she persisted and she pushed through and things did get better. Beck, thank you so much. This has been such a treat. Thank you. Quick Smart Today was made on the lands of the Jagera and Turrbal, Gadigal and Palawa people. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.